This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Well, you know, you're listening to Talk Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 169 of Top Rope Nation. This is Ryan Drosty of comicbook.com and I have a real special show for you today. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. I had a chance to sit down for about an hour on Wednesday and talk with Merrick Brave of the Black and Brave Wrestling Academy. Merrick, of course, runs that alongside WWE superstar Seth Rollins. And the two of them have had a long career alongside each other in professional wrestling. In fact, he tells the story about how the two of them met outside of an arena at age 16, which is a pretty crazy story that leads into this long association the two have had as tag team partners, as rivals on the independent scene, and today as co-partners in the Black and Brave Wrestling Academy. So... Merrick talks about coming up in the world of independent wrestling in the mid-2000s, a lot about his friendship with Seth Rollins, and uh, some funny stories about the two of them being on the road together uh, at the time. He also talks about his career-ending injury, a pretty horrific incident that happened down in Florida in 2007, which uh, more or less ended his career as a full-time wrestler, but he was able to transition into becoming a coach and passing on his knowledge to a next-generation of wrestlers alongside his best friend, Seth Rollins. So we hit on a lot of topics. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So without any further ado, let me take you to my discussion with Mr. Merrick Brave. We are joined today by Merrick Brave, head trainer at the Black and Brave Wrestling Academy in Davenport, Iowa. Uh, he runs this alongside Colby Lopez, a.k.a. WWE's Seth Rollins, formerly known as Tyler Black. From one Iowan to another, Merrick, welcome to Top Rope Nation. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. So 
As I mentioned, you've been involved with uh, running the Wrestling Academy with Seth for several years now. Prior to that, the two of you were tag team partners on the independent scene as well as rivals. Uh, as longtime friends, you came up in the wrestling business together, and I want to get to all of that. But before we do, what's your own personal wrestling story? How did you get into the get into wrestling initially as a fan, and what was your fandom like growing up? Oh, you know, I've been a professional wrestling fan since I was about six or seven years old. Um, so we're talking early nineties, like 92 or so, 92 or 93. Um, and I was actually living in Kansas at the time, uh, of me becoming a fan of, of the business. And I had a, a neighbor friend, uh, we were jumping on his trampoline. His name was Brad. And he, uh, he's like, Hey, let's play wrestling. And I didn't know what wrestling was at the time. I think I had seen just random clips scrolling through the TV channels as a kid. Uh, maybe Hulk Hogan, Jake, the snake Roberts. I kind of remember that stuff. Uh, and he was like, Hey, let's wrestle on the trampoline. I was like, all right, cool. He's like, I'll be Shawn Michaels and you can be the undertaker. And I didn't know who these people were. And when I thought of the undertaker, my little five, six year old brain, uh, thought of, uh, kind of like a deep sea diver type character with the big <laughs> suit on and the big, uh, you know, dome shaped helmet and all the tubes coming out. And for some reason, that's what I thought an undertaker was. I had no idea about the funeral business as a six year old. Uh, so I imagined I was that guy and, and we had a good time wrestling on the trampoline. And then afterwards he's like, Hey, come over and I'll show you some wrestling tape. And he popped it in and I was immediately, uh, you know, hooked on it. And I was like, wow, the undertaker doesn't look anything like I thought he would, <laughs> uh, pretty scary for, for a six year old at the time. But I just remember being like, wow, this is really cool. This is, you know, like superheroes come to life. And I think a lot of us had that same experience as a kid. But uh, from that day forward, I was hooked, and there was never a time when I didn't like pro wrestling. There was never a time I, I stopped watching pro wrestling, at least as a as a child, and and that's kind of how it all happened for me, at least as fandom goes. So you were you were living in Kansas at the time. When did you move to Iowa? 1997, summer of 97, moved to Bettendorf, Iowa, which is uh, right next door to Davenport, Quad Cities area mm -hmm. but i lived in kansas from 92 to 97 i kind of moved all around as a kid i lived in a bunch of different places uh i was born in new hampshire i lived in georgia i lived in new jersey i lived in philadelphia obviously kansas as we mentioned i lived on the other side of iowa in knoxville iowa right outside of des moines so i've kind of lived all over wow yeah but uh, i lived in in davenport iowa Benton north davenport iowa since 1997 so myself and then Justin, who is on the podcast as well, we're both in Iowa and in the Waterloo Cedar Falls area. And we, we always call out being proud Iowans and we you always do the call outs to Seth and everything. So it's cool to have a fellow Iowan connected to the wrestling business on the podcast for sure. And well, uh, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned you moved to Iowa in 97 now 90, I don't know about you, but 97 to me is my all time favorite year in pro wrestling history. I mean, that uh, was, was a great year. Oh, man, it was so great, that, especially the summer when you were going through moving. That was a great summer in wrestling. Um, for me, I grew up a huge Bret Hart fan, and I was really into that Hart Foundation stuff going on in 97. Which wrestlers did you idolize growing up the most? <laughs> Shawn Michaels, so <laughs> a little opposite of you. But I also did love Bret Hart. Um, I was a big fan. But Shawn Michaels has always been 
my favorite pro wrestler still is to this day. Um, I love British Bulldog as a kid. I was a big fan of British Bulldog, Owen Hart, uh, Yokozuna, kind of that whole faction. I loved as a kid, not as an adult. I loved Ahmed Johnson because he was just cool. <laughs> oh yeah, he was strong and he beat people up. So I thought that was neat. Um, Great finisher. I too. loved Alex Wright for some reason. I oh, remember yeah. being a small child and watching him do a backflip off the top rope. And I was like, Oh, that guy's super cool. I like that dude. Yeah. So, I might be the only interview you've ever had. That'll mention <laughs> Alex Wright as a, as a favorite wrestler as a child, but big fan, big fan. That was before the, the hip shaking moves and everything. When he was <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because so Sean was always my second favorite wrestler and I'd always have to explain to the kids at school how I could like him and Brett at the same time. Right. <laughs> so that's yeah, fun. no, I liked, I liked Brett a lot too. I would have, you know, as a child, I probably would have put him in my top three. He might have been my second favorite. Yeah. Were, were most of your friends uh, at school fans or was this thing where you had like a small knit group of friends that were wrestling fans or like how would you... How would you describe your upbringing and like your teenage years as far as watching wrestling? Were were a lot of the people you hung around into it, or you know what? I, I would I would say a lot of my kid, a lot of my friends at school were not fans of pro wrestling, but a lot of the kids in my neighborhood were. I grew up uh, I grew up you know relatively poor as a child, uh, and my family wanted to send me to a Catholic school, a private school. Um, because they thought it would be a better education. So uh, a lot of the students uh, at my school were from more affluent backgrounds, so to speak. So uh, that's traditionally, at least back then, not uh, kind of the demographic for professional wrestling. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the kids in my neighborhood, you know, who grew up poor like I did, we loved pro wrestling, but a lot of the, the kids at school couldn't have cared less. So I was there drawing Shawn Michaels, hearts on my my notebook and razor ramones razor symbol and and all that stuff and man i don't know what they were into uh the atlanta braves yeah a lot of a lot of braves fans at my school in kansas for some reason (laughs) i feel like in the 90s like every other kid was a braves fan i had a ton of friends who were atlanta braves fans too because they were just so good constantly yeah that pitching rotation was was crazy good yeah for sure so did you go to wrestling school pretty much immediately after you graduated high school? Um, yeah, I graduated in June. It's actually an interesting story because I started wrestling on the independent scene after doing multiple like one day training camps with different guys in the area. And some guys were actually pretty notable. I did camps with, uh, and Seth and I would go to these together, but we did camps with like, uh, Samoa Joe and Christopher Daniels and Shane Douglas and guys like that. So we were, we were, we were being taught properly. We just weren't going to uh, an official wrestling school yet, but we knew how to bump. We knew how to do all the moves. Um, Our psychology was very much lacking uh, at this point, but we started wrestling the summer before our senior year in high school when we were both 17 years old. But as soon as we graduated high school, he went off, to go to uh, the Ring of Honor training school, which CM Punk was running at the time. Uh, long story short, and I'm sure a lot of people know, but he kind of ran out of money, didn't have a place to live, was sleeping in his car for about a week, and he was like, this just isn't going to work for me. So he moved back home. But in the meantime, we were talking, 
almost every day over AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. And he was like, hey, I'm going to come home and we're going to go to wrestling school together because I was looking at schools in Chicago. So he came back. We found Danny Daniels school and we decided to head out. So when did you and Seth initially cross paths then? How did you get to know each other? Uh, we actually met outside of uh, outside of a local arena. We call it the market, something different now. But uh, we were waiting for tickets for a SmackDown taping. Um, it was actually the day before my 16th birthday, so I'll always remember that. His birthday is a month before mine. So he was 16. I was about ready to turn 16. And me and my group of friends went there, and we, we saw just a couple of, I don't know, kind of scraggly-looking young individuals <laughs> wrestling, doing some backyard wrestling in uh, like a mulch pit outside the arena at like midnight the night before. And uh, we we're like, oh man, those guys look cool. We should probably be friends with them. We did our own little trampoline wrestling type deal. But these guys were doing all these cool flips and everything. And we we're like, oh man, I think, I think we'd get along with these guys. So we went and talked to them and we became friends. And man, we've been friends ever since. That's been 18 years ago at this point. <laughs> That's pretty crazy how that came about there then, out there wrestling Just in front of the market of the Quad random, Cities. Yep, random happenstance, not a, you know, we didn't meet them, you know, at, at school or, or at an actual wrestling event. We met them waiting in line for tickets to buy SmackDown tickets, and now this man wrestles on television <laughs> every single week, so wow. it's weird how things work out like that's, that. That's wild. Um, all right. So, so you go to Chicago then, uh, you've, you've done like the one day camps. You said you go to Chicago to train, uh, which wrestling school was that by the way? We went, uh, to Danny Daniels wrestling school. He's the owner of AAW, one of the largest independent promotions in the country right now. Uh, at the time he was just, uh, a somewhat popular independent wrestler. You know, he never really had the size to make it to the big leagues. Uh, you know, he had done refereeing for the original ECW mm-hmm. back in the day. But uh, he was on a lot of the shows. He's from Chicago. So he was on a lot of the independent shows that we were going to at the time. Uh, and we always enjoyed his work. Uh, Seth more so than I, uh, he was a bigger fan of Danny than I was. And I always give Danny shit for that now. <laughs> but uh, he, uh, we went up to him outside of an old RCW show um, in LaSalle, Illinois and RCW became Dreamwave later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had a little bit of success for themselves. But uh, we told them, we're like, we want to be pro wrestlers. We hear you're starting up a wrestling school, and we want to be trained by you. So he gave us an opportunity to come do a tryout. And originally, we were supposed to pay X amount of dollars. But then after our tryout, I think he saw something in us. We were young, good-looking kids, really athletic, already knew how to do all the moves. We just needed to be taught the psychology. So... He gave us a little uh, discount on the training price, and we ended up training with him from October 2004 to December of 2004. And then I made my wrestling debut, uh, trained wrestling debut, against Danny Daniels for AAW in December of 2004. But Seth had a broken jaw at the time, which he suffered in, a, in an independent match back home against an MMA guy who didn't know how to work very well, but Mm. broke his jaw with a a right forearm directly across the face. So Seth didn't debut until January of 2005. So 
I can always pull my vet card on him if I need to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> pull that at the school. If you want to listen to the real grizzled veteran, you got to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I have a, a month's experience over him. <laughs> So this next question then, since you talked about how you had learned to do a lot of the moves and stuff at the camps you had gone to, so this might go back a little bit, but what, what would you say was the hardest part of the business to learn for you, whether that is the psychology or just moves in general? You know, moves weren't too difficult, uh, you know, not to sound uh, too boastful or anything, but Seth and I were able to kind of do anything that was asked of us in regards to the move department. Uh, like I mentioned, we both had a lot of experience on trampolines, which sounds kind of funny to say, but in reality, you know, jumping on a trampoline and doing all the flips and twists and stuff, it kind of does give you pretty good control over your movement, control over your body. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have difficulty with any of the moves. Um, the psychology aspect was another story. It's a little bit more difficult to be taught the psychology, to grasp the psychology, and then to be able to execute it when asked to. So I think that's probably a similar story with a lot of the guys and girls you'll talk to, but I think psychology is probably one of the harder things to grasp. And honestly, I'm not sure if it's anything you can ever really master. You can probably get pretty close, but the business evolves and it changes throughout time, which means psychology changes throughout time. And there's always new things to learn and new things to, to try and master. So I'm not sure we ever did master it, probably still working on it today, but honestly, helping our students to learn and work on their craft in regards to psychology helps us as well. You know, since opening the school six years ago, both Seth and I have talked about it many times that we've become better wrestlers or smarter workers because of the school that we, the, that we run and the students that we teach. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that was probably the the more difficult thing to learn was psychology over moves. So as as you started to get more involved on on the independent shows and everything, would you say you were wrestling more in the Chicago area or back home in Iowa, more in Illinois? Like how how were you taking those early bookings? I'll tell you what, we wrestled anywhere and everywhere that uh that would have us any, any promotion that wanted us on their show. We were there. We were wrestling multiple times every week, uh, all across the country. Uh, we did a lot of bookings in Chicago, a lot in Wisconsin, a lot in Indiana. We wrestled for IWA mid South a lot. Uh, obviously we took a lot of bookings back home in Iowa, but we were kind of all over the place at that point. Uh, and we were branching out and doing a little bit more, uh, in the Ohio Valley area, East coast and down South when I initially suffered my, my neck injury, pretty devastating neck injury. So, um, unfortunately we weren't able to bring the tag team, uh, too much further than that, uh, at the time, but yeah, we were working all the time. And I think that's just kind of the way it needs to be for a lot of the young up and comers is repetition. You've got to get your reps in. So the best way to do that is to do it in front of a live audience. And to do it in front of a live audience, you got to make the sounds. You got to hit the highway and and get on these shows because there's no substitute for live reps. Who would you say were kind of the premier independent groups to work with during that era? So we're kind of talking mid two thousands, I guess oh five oh sure. six. Um, uh, you know, everyone wanted to get to Ring of Honor. I'm not sure how many people consider that an independent promotion. 
Um, back then, it was more so an independent promotion than it is now. That was the top one. Um, unfortunately, you know, I had a tryout for them, and that's actually where I suffered my neck injury. So I was never able to actually work for Ring of Honor, even though I was slated to be an original member of Age of the Fall alongside Tyler and then Jimmy Jacobs was the leader there. Mm-hmm. I think my position was eventually given to Necro Butcher, which is kind of cool. Somehow I morphed into Necro Butcher, like Transformer <laughs> style. But uh, uh, IWN South was obviously a really big promotion at that time. Had some of the top independent talent. You know, when we started, we were on shows with CM Punk, Cole Cabana, Chris Hero, Jimmy Jacobs, Alex Shelley, Eddie Kingston, uh, Chris Candido. The list goes on and on and on. IWN itself was really killing it at that point. Um, and we were a big fan. We were big fans of IWN itself. We used to drive eight hours one way to set up a ring and then watch IWA Mid-South shows. So when we were given the opportunity to wrestle for IWA Mid-South, actually pretty quickly after graduating from wrestling school, we debuted in February 2005. When we were given that opportunity, we jumped at it because uh, that was a great spot to be at that time. Yeah, I, re- I remember like tape trading kind of in that era for IWA Mid-South Oh yeah, absolutely. They were and huge. not DVDs. People think yeah. when you say tape trading, you mean DVDs. <laughs> no, actual VHS tapes. I had uh, TPI 2004, which in my opinion is the best two nights of American independent wrestling ever. Uh, and I was able, I was fortunate enough to go to that live. Um, I had that on like a four VHS set back when uh, when it came out in late 2004. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I remember going and buying like the fifth, the the ten, twenty packs of VHS at Best Buy just just for wrestling tape trading during that time. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, certainly a different era. I don't think I don't think the the up and comers nowadays. That's <laughs> true. They don't understand it. They're a little they're a little spoiled. They can uh, take their cell phones out and they can have somebody record their match as it's happening. You know, back in the day, we had to wait until the next month to hopefully get a, a VHS or a DVD of the show we were on. Uh, and it didn't always work out that way, but we talk about this on the show sometimes, but like, yeah, I don't think people that are younger fans realize what that was like because now you can, you know, I got all the streaming services, the WWE network, you know, YouTube back then like t- tape trading, haul them to the post office and stuff. I think, I think if I would have had access to all of this streaming back then, I would have almost never left my house. <laughs> Just for yeah, all the time. I think, uh, yeah, it, like you said, people don't understand how difficult it was to be a wrestling fan back in the day, specifically an independent wrestling fan. Uh, if you were a wrestler on the independent level or you were a fan of independent wrestling, like you had to really love pro wrestling uh, to do that because it just wasn't, it wasn't easy. You had to put a lot of work uh, into your hobby, which I don't know if, people are willing to do nowadays but uh yeah like i said we would drive six hours eight hours one way set up the ring so that we could get a free ticket and sometimes those tickets weren't free they were you know ian rotten said we were going to get a free ticket but the the house was a little light boys so i'm going to need your ten dollars and uh we turn around and give them the ten bucks which was our our food money for the day so we didn't eat uh, unless Patty had some leftover uh, boiled hot dogs from the crock pot at the end of the night, she'd give it to us for helping out with the ring. 
But uh, and we turn around and we drive. We would drive eight hours back home and get home at four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, and it would be the the best day of our lives. So, <laughs> not complaining about it at all. But yeah, uh, it's a little different nowadays. Well, we're going to continue this conversation. We got a lot more to get to, but before we do, let me throw a shout out to our good friends over at Thera One and NFL Sunday Ticket. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Wurzland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary TheraGun percussive therapy device, when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments, he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion, or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and their sleep product to drift into a deep night's sleep. So here's the deal for you guys. Now through Labor Day, that is Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash blue wire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash blue wire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now, theragun.com slash blue wire. The link is in the podcast description. Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday Ticket.tv. You can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. No more haggling with DirecTV for a discount. All you got to do, go to Sunday Ticket, NFL Sunday Ticket.tv. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Once again, visit NFL Sunday Ticket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. All one word. So in Iowa during that era, I didn't go to a lot of independent shows. I feel like in the northeastern part of the state up here, we just didn't have a lot of independent shows. But down where you guys were in the Quad Cities and then like certainly Des Moines, there was a whole lot more going on. Uh, What what were like the top uh, independent promotions in Iowa during that time for you? So I run an independent promotion nowadays called SCW Pro. Back in the day, it was just SCW, which stood for Scott County Wrestling. 
Um, we changed the name because we don't just wrestle in Scott County anymore. But, uh, you know, that was started with my group of friends that was started in a barn with Seth and, uh, some other guys who ended up doing a little bit in these parts, but not, not too much outside of it. Uh, Nevin Knoxville, uh, Steven Youngblood, a guy named, uh, Snake Eyes, Mike Andrews, who was kind of like the original guy from our group of Quad Cityans who went and got trained in Chicago and then brought back the knowledge to us that we would literally get like three old mattresses, take it out to a park and he would show us how to bump and flip bump and take a clothesline and a suplex and this, that, and the other when we were 16, 17 years old, you know? So, uh, you know, SCW was started at that time and I'm not going to say it was quality wrestling, but it was wrestling. It was independent wrestling and people were paying money to come, to come see us do our thing. Um, and now it's obviously morphed into one of the, the more respected companies in Iowa. Um, 3XW became a thing shortly after that, about a year, year and a half later. Um, and at that point, I was a trained wrestler. So I, I believe I wrestled on their second show ever. I'm not sure I wrestled on their first, um, but that was kind of a, a deal. And then actually my first independent, my first paid independent show uh, that I ever did was when I was a, a senior in high school, and I believe it was for uh, IPW uh, in some small town, a town so small that when we were looking for food before the show, it did not have a fast food restaurant. So we were directed to go to the local uh, general store, basically a convenience store. And as we were looking through uh, the, the the scarce amount of food that they had, uh, we found that everything was completely covered in dust and cobwebs and that's not an exaggeration that's not hyperbole that was legit everything was like literally like old dinty Moore cans covered in dust and cobwebs and we're like you know what i'm not that hungry anymore i'm good so, oh, uh, the first time i was ever paid to professionally wrestler to excuse me to professionally wrestle was against uh seth AKA Tyler, AKA that night. And for one night only, I'm the only person who can ever say they wrestled against a man named Taj, the destroyer, <laughs> uh, was that's right. He named himself Taj, the destroyer as a 17 year old high school student, um, for IPW in central Illinois. And, uh, I believe he suffered a concussion that night and tried to enter um, uh, we have a, a friend who's actually also the assistant trainer at black and brave, uh, wrestles this crotch or Matt Mayday. And he's four years older than us. So he had his own apartment at that time. And it was on the way back from the show, uh, that we wrestled for IPW and we stopped at his apartment. Um, at this point, Taj, AKA Colby, Seth, Tyler, he was concussed from our match. I don't remember exactly how he, he got that concussion, but you know, we were a little reckless back in those days. Uh, we got back to Crotch's apartment and across the hallway were some young, attractive women. Um, and, you know, we're 17 year old kids and, and that's, that's kind of our deal at that point. Um, and I remember Crotch's toilet not working and, and Seth needed to use the restroom, uh, pretty badly. So he knocked on the, the door of, of the apartment that belonged to these young women and he asked to use their toilet and they were accommodating and they let him do so. And afterwards, he walked into the living room and he just sat down on their couch. And he was like, hey, you guys want to party now? And they were like, no, get out of my apartment. <laughs> and he was like, oh, come on, let's party. They're like, 
get out of here before we call the cops. So we had to drag him out of the apartment, <laughs> kind of kicking and screaming at that point due to that concussion oh, uh, wow. that he had where he thought it was appropriate just to camp out in somebody's living room and, and try to have a party. But I, I think we each got paid, you know, maybe 10 bucks that night, maybe 20 at the most, but that's probably stretching it. And we thought it was the coolest thing in the world. We're like, wait a second, you're going to give us money to wrestle, <laughs> which is something we want to do anyways. And I remember we went to McDonald's and just stocked up on McChickens and, and cheeseburgers. And, and it was the, the best night of our lives up until that point. But yeah, I would say SCW, 3XW and, and IPW were probably the Iowa promotions to watch out for at that point. Yeah, I think so. IPW they run the uh, the Hall of Fame shows up here every summer for the Tragos Thes Hall of Fame. So I'm pretty familiar yep. with them. Um, they do a lot of good stuff for us in this area every summer. So very cool. I think if we ever get Seth on this podcast, I'm gonna one of the first questions I'm gonna ask him is uh, so when it comes to food on the road, what's your opinion of like <laughs> dusty dinty more cans? <laughs> see, if, see if that jogs his memory you, at all. I'd be surprised. You know, with everything he's experienced in his career, I'd be surprised if he remembers that. But I would almost guarantee he remembers, depending on how severe the concussion was, I would almost guarantee he remembers trying to party on this on these girls' uh, couch yeah. after our first paid wrestling match. That's a, um, that's a good story. That's a really good one. Yeah, I don't think that story has ever been told on a podcast. You guys get the exclusive. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, you and Seth, you were tag partners. Uh, you were AAW tag team champions, I think, in 2006. But you also had a, a singles feud together. I was actually watching on YouTube last night. There's a pretty good compilation of your feud. And, and when you split and everything, you guys had a barbed wire match for AAW in sure Chicago. Did. Yeah, no real barbed wire. That was I had no idea that you guys did that match until last night. Pretty crazy stuff. Talk about that time in your career and, and what 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 it was like to work against your friend as rivals in the ring like that. You, you know something that a lot of people don't understand is that we were very very close friends, but in a way in real life we were somewhat rivals uh, in that aspect as well. So there was a lot of like real life like pseudo tension. Nothing ever like too aggressive or violent or, or, you know, too much to the forefront at that point, but we had a, a little healthy competition between us. Um, you know, people laugh when I say it now, but at the time I was considered, uh, the better wrestler and I was considered the one who had a better shot at making it, whatever that meant at that time, there was no, uh, expectation of making it to WWE in 2004, 2005. That just wasn't something that happened for people on the independent scene at that point. But, uh, you know, I was considered, you know, the guy that was going to, he was going to be the one he was going to, he was going to get to ring of honor. He was going to get to Japan. He was going to do this, that, and the other. Um, and obviously with my injury that didn't pan out, but, uh, Seth is one of the most competitive people I've ever met in my entire life. And so he didn't like that. He wasn't just, he wasn't just going to sit there and accept being considered, number two behind me. So there was always a, a healthy amount of competition between the two of us. And uh, I think that helped to fuel that feud for AAW um, at that point, because there were so many times where we were asked to do like run-ins on each other's matches. And, and then those would turn into big brawls, pull apart where we kind of just beat the crap out of each other. We didn't pull any punches at that point. We weren't working. We were hitting and we were kicking and we were, you know, we were boys at, at that point and we were friends and everything. 
Uh, so we, we kind of understood that that was part of the deal and, and that we would allow each other to do certain things that maybe we wouldn't allow anyone else to do with us while we were in the ring. So we were, we were going at it. And I think that healthy competition between the both of us fueled that feud and allowed it to be as big as it was back then. Um, and you said so yourself, but at that point, a no ropes barbed wire match between two guys who weren't considered deathmatch wrestlers. Um, you know, we were both young. We were 19, 20 years old, a piece, good looking kids, long hair, uh, athletic, bright futures ahead of us. That wasn't something that people were doing back then. The deathmatch wrestlers kind of stayed in their lane and the, you know, quote unquote athletic workers, we stayed in our lane. Um, Ian for IWA Mid-South, he kind of blended the two a little bit around that time by having us work with a lot of the deathmatch guys just as somewhat of an attraction. But as far as uh, two guys who weren't really involved in the deathmatch scene goes, that wasn't something that had been seen before. So for us to do that was uh, quite the spectacle. And I believe that was the first time AAW sold out the Berwyn Eagles Club in Berwyn, Illinois. So that's something we can hang our hat on. And I, I look back on that match and I feel like it was one of the best of my career. I know he looks back on that match fondly and, and a lot of people, you know, say that that's the best match in AAW history. And there's been a lot of really good matches in AAW history. So that's uh, nothing to scoff at. Who, whose idea was it to do the barbed wire match? Uh, I believe it was Danny Daniels idea, right? So very rarely in today's scene do you get a feud that lasts as long as that one did. That was a, a full year in the making. So we really needed a, a blow-off match that was going to kind of match that uh, intensity, intensity level. So, uh, you know, Danny's a student of the game, and he knows every match that's ever happened anywhere. So he suggested barbed wire, no ropes barbed wire. And I remember immediately Seth was like, no, I'm not doing it. And I, on the other hand, immediately was like, yes, let's do that. I was going through uh, kind of a rough patch personally in my personal life with my relationship with my, my significant other and whatnot. And I always viewed those street fight matches, those, uh, you know, no GQ matches, those hardcore matches as kind of a cathartic experience. And when he suggested, when Danny suggested no rope barbed wire, I was like, all right, that's what I need right now. That's going to, it's going to be good for the feud, but also it's going to be good for me personally. It's going to allow me to, to get all of these emotions out. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I, I had no problem with it. Seth was apprehensive, but eventually we talked him into it and, you know, you see the product. I, I do believe to this day, you know, that match happened in 2006. So 14 years later, I believe to this day, that match still holds, holds up and you can, you can put it against some of the top uh, blow off matches in indie wrestling nowadays. And it will still look really good. Yeah. I would definitely recommend it to any of the listeners out there. If you haven't seen the match, look it up, get a hold of it. it it's definitely worth watching. You will be blown away. I think. Interesting tidbit about that match. I actually had really bad food poisoning uh, for that match and, and the couple days leading up to it. So for the for most of the day, I was actually laying in a ball under a folding table in the locker room, sleeping, trying to feel better. Um, and we ended up calling that match maybe a half hour before it actually happened oh, and just trying wow. to figure out what we needed to do. But I was deathly ill for that match, which 
kind of, I don't know, I feel like that's a theme of my career where something goes wrong when you need everything to go right. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm happy I was able to pull it off. That's going to kind of, that's the perfect segue, what you just said to my next question. And that, that is, you've mentioned getting injured and you had an injury that caused you to pretty much retire from the ring. Uh, how did that injury occur and how difficult was the decision for you to, to walk away from uh, being an active in-ring competitor? Oh man, that was really tough. Uh, it was during a tryout match for Ring of Honor. Uh, Seth and I had been called down to wrestle for FIP in Florida. Um in almost uh, like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge scenario. Cause uh, Jimmy knew he wanted us to be original members of age of the fall for ring of honor. And we kind of just needed to get through this match and have it go decent for Gabe Sapolsky to sign us to our contracts. Uh, we were young at the time, 2007, this happened in May, 2007. So I was a month shy of my 21st birthday, still 20, um, Seth was just like literally a few days from turning 20. So we were both still 19 and we drove, we didn't get flights. It's this not 2020. Remember this is 2007. We didn't get flights. Indie wrestling wasn't this big deal. You know, there was a hundred people in the crowd. Um, and we, we drove from Iowa down to, to Florida and it was a, a two night shot. We did the first night in Tampa where we each worked singles matches and I wrestled the younger briscoe brother i believe that is mark briscoe and colby wrestled jay briscoe and both singles matches went really well and gabe was happy with them and then the next night um seth and i were to challenge for the fip tag team titles in the main event uh in melbourne florida um and everything was going really, really, really well in the match. Uh, we were excited. It was cool. The fans were, we were the heels. So the fans were booing the crap out of us. Uh, and it was going good. And then there was a spot where I was to do a reverse, an assisted reverse hurricane runner. So Seth was going to springboard and then push me while I was atop uh, Jay Briscoe's shoulders. Uh, and I was going to do a reverse hurricane runner. Um, and we had talked about this in the back and I just made sure that, you know, they were comfortable doing that. That is something that they had, uh, had experience with before. And Jay assured me that everything was going to be cool. Um, but when it came down to it, unfortunately it wasn't. And as I went backwards, instead of flipping back, flipping over the top of me, which is how that move is executed properly. Instead, he basically just took a back bump and I'm not a short guy. Uh, at that point, I believe I was still growing. So I was like six foot one or so. Uh, and I might've even been a little bit taller than Jay. So not necessarily the move you want to do when you're, you're a taller wrestler, but I had done it numerous times before with no incident. Um, but unfortunately on this night, instead of flipping, he essentially took a back bump and, uh, I was midway through my flip. Um, my forehead made contact with the mat and this 210 pound man took a back bump on top of me when only my forehead was in contact with the mat. So my back or my neck uh, bent completely backwards. The back of my skull was touching in between my shoulder blades. Um, and then all that weight came crashing down on top of me too. So I just immediately, instantly, I knew something was wrong. And I had never experienced an injury like that while I had been working. Um, and I almost, if you watch the if you watch the tape, you can see a big bulge in the middle of my back from where my muscles stretched out and then contracted uh, together. 
And I almost do this kind of like three stooges, you know, Homer Simpson, like wiggle around, around in a circle in the ring, just clutching my back. And I'm saying my back, my back, my mm. back, my back. And the referee was like, oh my God, are you okay? And, you know, I was brought up kind of an old school mentality where you finish the match no matter what at all costs. So while I was in a, in an extreme amount of pain in that moment, I decided, you know, I'm going to finish this match. And so if you watch the match, I get up and I actually do like kind of the weakest little one footed drop kick you've ever seen, but that's kind of what the spot called for was a drop kick there. So I attempted a drop kick. I made a little bit of contact and then I fall back down and I crumble. And at that point, Gabe Sapolsky comes running in through the back. Um, and he, I'm in the corner and he comes up to me and he's like, Hey, are you okay? And I'm like, oh, I hurt myself. And he's like, okay, well wiggle your fingers and toes. Cause he had seen on the monitor in the back house, devastating the injury was um and he tells me wiggle your fingers and toes and i'm able to do that and so uh he goes stay down and i said no i'm about to take the finish which (laughs) (laughs) mind you the finish was a doomsday device from the briscoe brothers so i was supposed to be sitting on somebody's shoulders the other one was going to clothesline me and i was going to get dumped over the top of them probably presumably on my head, but I told Gabe, I'm like, no, I need to take this finish. And he looked at me and he said, if you get up one more time, I will never use you again. I'm like, all right, I'll be right here the rest of the match. (laughs) So, uh, you know, to their credit, the Briscoes and Seth call an audible, they finished the match. And then at that point, an ambulance had been called. They came to the arena. They, they put me on a stretcher, Uh, put me in a neck brace and everything while I'm on the stretcher. There's actually a shooting outside the venue. Somebody gets shot. And so I'm on the stretcher. I'm all strapped in. I can't move. And they look at me and they go, hold on. We're going to go check on this shooting. I'm like, what happens if, (laughs) what happens if the guy with the gun comes in here? I'm, I'm immobile. I cannot go anywhere. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Luckily that didn't happen. Um, I want to be clear. Uh, I have no ill will towards the Briscoes. Um, there's no, I don't blame them for anything that happened. It's just one of those fluke things that happens in a wrestling match. Uh, you know, we expect injuries to happen from time to time. Unfortunately, it was just the worst timing for me personally, uh, in regards to my growth and my upwards movement in the business. Um, but I don't want people to, to take this, as me taking a shot at the Briscoe brothers or Jay Briscoe, um, because they were nothing but professional after the injury was done. Um, first of all, I went to the hospital, they did, uh, an x-ray, but they would not give me an MRI to see if there was ligament damage or, or anything like that, because I didn't have insurance. I'm a young 19 year old kid. I don't have insurance. Um, so they knew I wasn't going to pay that bill and I never did, but, uh, they they quickly gave me an x-ray. They told me my neck wasn't broken. Little did I know at that time I had uh, multiple bulging discs in my back, uh, multiple vertebrae that were compressed, just very serious stuff. But they uh, weren't able to give me that information. Uh, and in fact, after the x-ray came back and they said nothing was broken, they wouldn't even let me change out of my wrestling gear, which I still had on. Uh, they wouldn't let me change out of my gear in the hospital bed, in the room that had been given to me, um, they kicked me out of the room and sent me to the lobby. And I had to change from my wrestling gear into my, my street clothes, uh, 
in the lobby bathroom, even though I could barely move at that point, I couldn't stand, I could barely move my limbs. It was, uh, it was a very severe injury. Um, and at that point, Gabe was gracious enough to, to buy me a plane ticket home. So I didn't have to do that 20, it was a 22 hour drive from Melbourne, Florida back to Iowa. So he bought me a plane ticket home, um, which was nice of him. And, uh, I don't remember any of the flights home cause I was doped up on some pain pills that some of the boys had given me out of their, out of the graciousness <laughs> of their hearts. <laughs> um, and, uh, the, the first thing I remember after boarding the plane was my mom picking me up at the airport and her just in complete tears. Cause they had to uh, wheel me around in a wheelchair cause I was, uh, not able and not fit enough to stand on my own and, and was also a little drugged up at the time, but, uh, for good reason. So it was, uh, a pretty severe injury. Uh, unfortunately I kind of went about it the wrong way and didn't really let people know how severe it was and instead made the decision to, to pull out of my, uh, follow-up tryout appearance, which was supposed to happen in August of 2007. But I pulled out of that, um, which ultimately led to me not being a part of the age of the fall, not getting my ring of honor contract. Um, at that point, I didn't feel like I was able to perform up to the standards that Ring of Honor had for its wrestlers. I didn't want to let the fans down who had paid hard-earned money to to see the guys work. And uh, instead of explaining what was going on, I just uh, I just kind of pieced out. And on the day we were supposed to drive back down to Florida, uh, I called Seth when he was on the way to my house, and I told him I'm not going. And in fact, I'll be retiring from the business. And he he lost his mind. And then subsequently I got phone calls from delirious and Jimmy Jacobs and multiple people telling me that I was making a mistake. And, uh, and, uh, that was kind of, that was kind of it for a little bit. And I was out of the business for about a year and a half at that point before I decided to make a comeback. But I was, it was a very tumultuous time in my career and in my life. And, uh, instead of getting, in a car to drive down to Florida. I got on a plane and I flew out to California so I could hang out with a pretty cool girl I knew at the time. Well, there you go. And that was that. So you take about a year and a half off, as you mentioned. And since that time, you've kind of wrestled here and there, um, even like a six man last fall. Uh, so how would you describe this next phase of your career following that horrific injury? So after the injury, I, I did take a, a little bit of time off. It took me about two weeks just to even walk again. I was in a, a pretty bad spot physically. Um, and at that point, I, I didn't really have backup plans for my life. So uh, the only thing I knew was pro wrestling. So I had, I had committed to retiring, but I wasn't ready to retire. I had no plans. So I scaled back my bookings. Instead of wrestling multiple times a week, I was wrestling a couple times a month. Uh, just so I could make a little bit of income. Most of those shows were local. Um, and I did that for probably about a year and a half to two years before I decided it wasn't worth it. I wasn't going to make it, you know, to ring of honor or to any other big time promotion enough to get a salary. So I decided I, w I was going to leave the business. Uh, during that time I was like, man, I really need to, to do uh, real life stuff. What do people do in real life stuff? So uh, there was a girl I was dating who would eventually become my wife. Um, we decided to, to have a child during that time. We bought a house during that time uh, and everything was going good. And then, you know, like kind of all wrestlers do when it comes to retirement, uh, at least that first retirement, I got the itch. And I was like, Man, how do I, 
how do I get back into this business? Uh, and by that point, Seth had been signed to WWE and, uh, you know, he was doing his developmental stuff and he came home one Christmas and was kind of talking about his struggles, uh, in developmental. And we were kind of working through that. And then at one point I was like, man, I watch your matches down there and I really feel like, like I still have it mentally, you know, I don't have it physically, but I have it mentally. I'm still able to, to kind of predict what you guys are about to do specifically. It was him and Ambrose two out of three falls for the NXT championship. And I remember watching that match and, and almost move for move predicting what they were about to do. And when I told that to him, he was like, so why don't you figure out how to do it again physically and make a comeback just for fun. You know, it doesn't have to be anything where you think you're going to make a living doing it, but what if you did that? And I was like, man, you know, you put it so simply. Why haven't I thought of that? So I decided to, to figure out how to get back in shape in my own way since I wasn't able to really lift weights I wanted to. And six months later, uh, I made a comeback in the summer of 2012. And I actually started up my old home promotion, which has been on hiatus for about a year at that point. Um, and I took over SCW later, you know, known now as SCW pro and we started running shows again. And then when I started doing that there, there was a lot of interest in me making the rounds again in the Midwest. And I started getting contacted by three XW and AAW and, and other promotions. And I was like, you know what? It's hard to say no when people want you. So I started, uh, I started the independent career back up. When I started making the towns again and, and to me with the pressure off of like, Oh, well, this is your career. This is what you have to do to make it big with the pressure off. It was really easy for me to just focus on one match at a time. And it was really easy for me to focus on just having fun. And those were some of the best years of my career. Um, little did I know my neck injury was still a big problem. Um, I thought I had kind of gotten past it at that point because, uh, due to them only giving me an x-ray and telling me I didn't have a broken neck, I thought I was fine. Um, unfortunately, a few years later, I had uh, some some pretty severe neck pain and some debilitating, um, you know, basically I, I was working out and I went to do a, 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 an overhead press with a bunch of weight and it felt like a stack of dominoes had been triggered in my spine and I just felt it level by level, just boom, 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 boom. And I collapsed to the ground and I was like, oh man, I need to go get this checked out. And so they did the x-ray, they did the MRI this time, and they found out that I had uh, some, some messed up vertebrae in my neck, which eventually led to me uh, needing spinal fusion surgery. And it wasn't uh, a simple surgery, it was actually a multi-level uh, surgery. So my C5 through C7 uh, vertebrae needed to be fused together, which is pretty major. And there have been guys, you know, Edge and 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 other guys who have come back from that type of surgery, but they had a few million reasons why, a few <laughs> million motivators, if yeah. you know what I'm saying, yeah. to come back from that. But at that point, uh, I decided it was more important for me to be available to my children and to my students. We had started at the wrestling school at that time um, than it was for me to be an active in-ring competitor and uh, I got my surgery a couple years back and called it quits except for the one match you referenced last uh, fall which was the six-man tag match where we kind of gimmicked a lot of stuff and 
I ended up not having to take a bump and came back with a steel chair and looked like a badass. So yeah, (laughs) made, made, made sure to put myself over there, but, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but yeah, it was a good run and, and, uh, you know, things could have turned out differently and, and I wish they would have, but I've made peace with where I'm at now and I'm still able to make a, a career off of professional wrestling as a trainer. And that in the beginning was the ultimate goal. And, uh, if I look back on my career, I can say it was a success because of, of all the experiences that I was able to have, all the friends I was able to make. And, uh, I'm, I'm still going strong. You know, it's hard to miss the wrestling business when you're still involved with it daily through your school, your students and the promotion you run. So, yeah, I feel, I feel blessed in that regard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a horrific experience here, that injury, I think really comes through as you tell the story and, uh, really easy to empathize with what, what you were going through and how difficult that would have been. But as you mentioned, you you do have a pretty good scenario now where you're running the Black and Brave Wrestling Academy with your best friend and uh, doing this for a living full time. Uh, whose idea was it to start the school and, and just how did that come about? So I was actually running my own little school um, by myself with just a handful of local guys um, out of a, a church here in the Quad Cities. And Seth would check in on me periodically. He was living down in Florida and he would check in and see how it was going. Uh, and then one day I was just at my, my regular job and he texted me and he said, how would you feel about starting a wrestling school with me? And in my head, I'm like, man, well, we always made a great team. And, and, you know, you, you obviously have some experiences at this point that I don't and your, your knowledge is invaluable right now. So yeah, let's do it. Um, it took about a year to get off the ground. He was still in developmental. Uh, within that year, he had gotten called up and was a member of the shield. Um, and after a couple of months of that, he was like, all right, I'm ready. I'm going to move back to Iowa and, and we're going to start the school. And I was like, all right. And I, I remember initially thinking we were going to get some blowback from that. Um, because he was so fresh on the main roster. I thought some people would, you know, kind of look down on it and say, well, what do you know? How are you qualified to start a wrestling school? But from the moment he joined the main roster, him and, and the other shield members, they were very respected members of of the main roster community. So I, I don't think anybody, in fact, uh, we were given Triple H's blessing to start the school on, on multiple occasions. And I think people were, were kind of pretty stoked that we were getting ready to do that. Cause at that point, you know, Danny wasn't training anymore outside of, uh, truth martini in Michigan and, and, uh, you know, maybe one or two other places, there wasn't really a, a good spot to, to learn professional wrestling in the Midwest. So I think a lot of people were pretty stoked that we were getting ready to do that. Um, so like I said, it took about a year from the initial conversation to us announcing it. And, uh, we've just been rolling ever since it's been a, an awesome experience. Um, all of our classes sell out, out, uh, about a year in advance, uh, even during this pandemic, which has been pretty cool. Um, but there's nothing else, literally nothing else I'd rather be doing right now than, than coaching at black and brave. Cause it's, it's a dream job. I'll tell you the truth. I know it sounds cliche, but it really is a dream job. Yeah, you guys opened up a new location not all that long ago. What would you say is the next step in your growth? Um, well, we just moved locations. Uh, we were in Moline, Illinois, which is right across the Mississippi River from Davenport. Um, we just felt we were actually renting space 
within another gym. And we just kind of felt like it was, you know, time for us to get our own spot and, and to kind of be in control of everything that we could be in control of. So uh, we opened up our spot in Davenport and I think we're going on two years in that location. Um, so I'm not sure what the next step holds. I think the next step holds just us continuing to do what we're doing. Um, we have, uh, I'm not going to get too specific here, but we have some interest in a couple of our students, uh, actually more than a couple, a handful of our students from some major companies. And I think that's, that's probably the next step is to get a, a few of our students signed a contract um, to help further their careers and, and, and show people that, uh, you know, we're able to do that for you, but we're not going to push you into position into a spot that you're not ready for. Um, could we have made some calls and, and gotten some of our guys, some of our girls opportunities uh, before now? Absolutely. We have connections that almost no other wrestling school could possibly have um, based on uh, Seth's position within the business. But we always told ourselves that's not what it was about. We wanted to make sure that our guys and girls were ready before we put them in that spot. So it's been a while. We've been open for six years now and we've had numerous students show enough progress that we feel good enough about it. And to tell you the truth, some of these students didn't get these opportunities based upon recommendations from us. They got their opportunities based upon their own merits and that's the best way to do it. So we're really excited for them. Um, we're pretty sure that things are going to go smoothly with that. And hopefully within the next, you know, month, two months, so on and so forth, we'll be able to make some announcements regarding contracts that these guys and girls are being offered. And that's just great news. That's awesome. It makes me smile every time I, I think about it as a trainer. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Uh, how, how involved is Seth with the day to day at the Academy? Oh, very much involved. Uh, I get that asked that question a lot because it's it's pretty uh, commonplace for a big name to put their name on a school and then show up on day one to take the money and show up on the last day to take a picture and call it a call it a fucking training class. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But that's not what he's about. He wants to be there as often as he can be, and whenever he's not busy with wwe obligations he is at school he's in the ring he's coaching he's he's teaching and you know his greatest involvement is passing down the psychology that you know we go back to that that's kind of the most important part about the wrestling business is the psychology and he obviously has experiences that most people don't he's been in a main event of wrestlemania he's main evented many pay-per-views he's held numerous championships we're the only wrestling school that can claim to have a, an active top level WWE superstar as an in-ring trainer while they're still on top. I can't think of any other wrestling school in the history of wrestling schools that can claim to have that. There's been a lot of guys who have retired and opened a wrestling school, but Seth's still doing it. He's still, still doing it at a top level. He's one of the most, popular superstars in the entire world and when he's not on the road for wwe he's at our school in davenport iowa teaching the future generations of professional wrestlers and i think that's a beautiful thing yeah, i think there was a 
was it WWE 365? One of those series they filmed at your school within the last year, I think, and kind of showed them in the ring with the students. That was pretty cool to see. Yeah, they've been uh, they've been out filming a couple different times. Uh, it's always cool to have them there. They're pretty pretty cool cats, but uh, that's been nice nice uh, publicity for us. But it's not anything that's staged for the cameras. It's a hundred percent genuine. It's a hundred percent honest. He's there and he cares about our students and he gives every single one of our students uh, his Facebook and his phone number and you can text him, you can call him, you can message him and he will give you his opinion and his advice on the spot. And that's a, an invaluable resource. Absolutely. So outside of you uh, working at the Academy and everything, just to kind of wrap this up, you've, you've done a little work uh, in acting, I guess you could say, because you worked with the History Channel on Night Fight. Talk a little bit about what yeah. that was like. Well, I don't know if you could call that acting. Yeah, I kind of struggle if I should call real. it that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, oh man, it was an experience. I'll tell you what. Uh, everyone always asks what it's like to be hit with, uh, you know, a weapon and, and an axe or a or a mace or something like that. But I'll tell you what the real unnerving part is. And that's actually hitting somebody else at full force with a four foot battle ax directly on top of their head. <laughs> uh, I remember reaching back. I did this. I full disclosure. I was not very good on the program. I lost in the first round. I was sent home and that's completely okay with me. It was very difficult, but it was a, a blast. I would definitely do it again. If I could, it's full armored combat fighting. 100% legitimate. There's no storylines here. There's no, uh, there's no working here. This is 100% a shoot. And, uh, I remember reaching back with that battle ax far behind my head and I'm just like time slowed down. And I was like, man, I'm about to hit an adult man in the head with an ax as hard as I possibly can. Like that doesn't seem like something anyone should ever do but I'm permitted to do that here. I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm not going to get arrested. I don't know what type of damage I'm about to cause, but here we go. And I clocked him right on top of his dome and he crumpled to the ground and, oh, and, uh, everyone was okay. And we all shook hands afterwards and it was a good time, but, uh, it was amazing. It was a fantastic experience. I was super nervous going into it just because it's something you've never done before. You know, you don't know what it's like to be hit in the face with an axe. Yeah. But I do now. <laughs> and it's not fun. <laughs> I got busted open. Uh, you know, I take that back. It was a lot of fun. It, it didn't feel good, but it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of cool to kind of, it was, it was really cool to kind of test my, my merits as a, as a man, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and see where I was at and, and just kind of do something that was out of the norm and out of my comfort zone. And, uh, it was great. And if there's ever a season two, I would love to be a part of it. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, so I wasn't for sure how, if it was 100% legitimate or not. So to hear that, that 100%. Is so it actually falls under the guidelines of a United States game show. And there's very strict rules regarding the game shows that you watch on television. If there's any sort of collusion or, you know, surreptitious behavior in a game show, you can go to prison for that. So they told us out of the gate, don't try and fake any of this. This has to be a hundred percent legitimate. Hmm. And it was, and it was difficult. And there were many times I felt like I was going to vomit inside of my metal helmet, which would not have been good. That would have, I would have just been covered in vomit at that point. <laughs> uh, 
because um, it's very difficult to get those things off. They're actually clasped to your back protector, so you can't just take them off. Somebody has to help you with that. So I've just been covered in my own vomit. Thankfully, I didn't vomit, <laughs> but uh, it was cool. And like I said, I would do it again in a heartbeat because, uh, you know, I played high school football, and that was probably the closest I've felt to that type of competition since then. Mm crazy full contact ass kicking as knights there you go <laughs> check it yep, out on the history channel swords. the only the only rules were you couldn't stab someone you know because death um <laughs> you couldn't stab someone and you couldn't hit someone in the groin or the top of the foot because the top of the foot and the groin those were the only places that weren't protected by armor wow that is wild absolutely wild well, Merrick, this has been a really fun discussion. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on Top Rope Nation and kind of telling your story. I think the listeners will get a lot out of hearing about this. I think most of them are are probably familiar with the Black and Brave Academy. You guys have formed quite the reputation over the last few years. And, you know, your friendship with Seth was really interesting to hear the story about and, and your own trials and tribulations as a wrestler. So I just want to thank you again so much for coming on. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me. I'll come back anytime and, you know, hopefully your listeners enjoy this conversation. Where can uh, the listeners follow you on social media? Sure. I do not have a Facebook, so don't even try. I have a, a Twitter at mbrave13. I have an Instagram at mbrave13. Of course, there's uh, Black and Brave on Twitter at Black and Brave. There's Black and Brave on Instagram at Black and Brave Wrestling. Um, and then if you want to follow, uh, if you happen to live in Iowa and you want to come out to a local independent show, um, you know, when the pandemic's done and everything at SCW pro on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And, uh, you can come meet me in person. I'll take a picture and sign an autograph and maybe give you a little smooch on the cheek and everything. <laughs> Very cool, man. Well, thank you so much. Hopefully we'll be talking again. Absolutely. Thanks guys. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL are playing for the gold and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into fall and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports and remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.